Can anybody tell me what their favorite ever American TV show is? Anyone, just shout them out. Amer what was Oh my word, MASH. You should say MASH. Ooh, that's rogue. What was that whole? 24, Jerry Springer. Okay, yeah, this is a bit like Jerry Springer, isn't it? Um, any more, go on, any more? Suits? Okay, well, you're all wrong. The best ever American TV show is The West Wing. The West Wing, and if you haven't watched it, you really should. Stop watching all this other stuff. Mash, dear me. Um, I loved The West Wing when I was a teenager, and it, it stirred me and inspired me. I honestly think I did better in my A-levels for watching The West Wing at lunchtime. Because after I'd finished watching The West Wing, I'd be like, I want to go to work to save the world, so I should get a, you know, a B in history or something. Um, and it, honestly, it still inspires me. There's something about it that's like the quest for justice and for honor. It's about the American president and his advisors and their policies and their fights against an opposition and them trying to do better things for, better, for, like, for a better America. One of, the, one of my favorite lines is, our defeats are softened and our victories are sweetened because we did them together. Oh. Oh, Lord. I honestly, I absolutely love it. Anyway, so about this time last year, I finally got to go to Washington, D.C. to see all the areas where basically the West Wing, well, it wasn't a film, but the monuments around that West Wing has in it. Um, and, and I got to see the West Wing, I got to see the White House, and nearby the West Wing was a White House museum where it had like paraphernalia and memorabilia and stuff from what was actually, not in the show, obviously, but from the real presidents, right? And it, Amongst all the you know, trash that they put in museums, there were these great letters to presidents. I'm going to read you some of them. Bring them up, Rob. Okay, here we go. This is from 1973. Dear President Nixon, I, hope, I heard you were sick with pneumonia. I just got out of the hospital yesterday with pneumonia, and I hope you did not catch it from me. Now, you be a good boy and eat your vegetables like I had to. If you take your medicine and your shots, you'll be out in eight days like I was. Love, John, eight years old. Isn't that nice? All the best ones are from kids. Next one, Rob. Dear Mr. President Reagan, how are you? I am fine. My name is James S. Gardner. I am eight years old. I am writing to, to ask a favor for everybody who watches television. Please could you tell Hollywood when they make the commercials to put the cost on to? Everything always looks so nice, but you never know how much money you're going to have to save up. Thank you very much. Please tell Mrs. Reagan hello. Uh, this one's great. I like the end of this one. Dear President Eisenhower, my name is Cheryl Bylan. I am eight. This is my suggestion for the flag. America the beautiful. I'm sorry to disturb you. Isn't that lovely? She actually had to apologize. And then here is the best one of them all. September the 11th, 1974. Dear President Ford, I think you are half right and half wrong. <laughs> Yours truly, Anthony Ferreira. Now, when you're in a position of authority like the president, you get inundated with messages. I imagine this most recent president gets a lot of mail. <laughs> maybe some positive, maybe some negative. Who's to say? But whoever you are and whichever president you are, you're going to get floods of letters and people want to tell you their opinion on whatever they feel like, from pneumonia to, you know, the state of all your thinking. And, and even if you're not a president, you're still going to get throughout your life messages flying in all the time, every day. Your mind is a site for a bombardment of information. When we get up in the morning from when we go to bed at the night, we are constantly fired up with messages and thoughts 
and words, and you may never be as powerful as the president, but you are still going to be constantly collecting loads of stuff. And today, we're thinking about how we can worship with all of our minds. And I think one of the hardest things about it is that we cannot switch off that flow of information. You know, when you turn on the internet and you go to that, I don't know, the BBC homepage or whatever, and you suddenly see something, you're like, oh, I didn't want to see that. I'm not going to be thinking about that all the time. Or some horror story from around the world that you're like, oh, I really should know about that, but that's now what I'm thinking about, and I'm not thinking about everything else. Or suddenly you get a distraction. You wake up in the morning, the washing isn't done. You wake up in the morning, your kids are there every day. They never leave. And constantly, your mind is a sight of all this just stuff. How are we supposed to deal with it? Well, this gives us some today some insights from an ancient song written about 2,000 years ago. No, actually, 3,000 years ago. Written about 3,000 years ago by the Israelites. And it's called Psalm 22. And we're going to go into it in detail, but I'm going to speak it over you now. Now, you don't need to hear every word. Um, you don't need to hear every little aspect of it because we're going to go into the lines. What I want you to do, though, is just allow it to wash over you. For just this moment, for just this time, if you don't listen to me at all, if right now you're not even really listening to me, that's okay because still, still things are like going on and on and you can't think, can't forget what's happening before. Just listen to this. Just bring your mind to just listen to this. You don't have to catch every word. Just feel it. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. By day, I cry out to you, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One, the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and were delivered. They, trust, they called out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by everyone and despised by the people, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. They say, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. But you brought me out of the womb. Even at my mother's breast, you made me trust you. From birth, I have been cast upon you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me. For trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. <laughs> Roaring lions who tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me down in the dust of death. Many dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them, and they cast lots for my garments. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Save me from the sword, my precious life from the power of dogs. Rescue me from the mouths of the lions, my, my life 
from the horns of the wild oxen. I will praise you in the assembly. I will declare your name to my people. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, you descendants of Israel, for he has not scorned or despised the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him. He has heard his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before my people, I will fulfill my vow. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will find him. May your hearts live forever. The, the earth will turn to him. They will remember the Lord. The families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. The rich of the earth will feast and worship. Those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot save themselves. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told of the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn he has done it. That is crying out to the Lord. When we are bombarded by messages, when our minds seem like a hive of information, when our minds seem like they are never at rest, when we are constantly surrounded by what we feel like is closing in, it might not just be enemies, but it might feel distressing. We can call out to him. What this old song shows us that in our worst of circumstances, we can call out to him. We can pour out to him. I love American football. And one of the best managers ever in American football is a guy called Bill Walsh. And at the beginning of his autobiography, he talks about the worst moment of his life when he was on a plane flying away from a sixth straight defeat. And this wasn't only six defeats in a row. This was actually, I think, 14 defeats in a row. And this was the sixth one that season. And he was on the plane going back home, and his life was just crumbling. And he talks about how he just felt like he wanted to throw up the whole flight. He could not deal with the pressure closing in. Imagine in that position of public eye authority when all the media are drawing nearer and shouting at you and the fans are starting to turn on you and the players are starting not to listen and he just felt like his whole life had finished everything he'd hoped for just come to nothing sixth defeat in a row and he says that he had a rule though and he called it the 24 hour rule and 24 hour rule was that he could pour out everything he felt that he could he could be in that terrible situation that he could let himself feel all that despair for 24 hours and then 21, 24 hours was done, bam. It had to be over because the next game was coming. It had to be over because he had to put a stop to it. 24 hours he could pour out and then stop. And I think Psalm 22 does something slightly similar. So can we see Psalm 22? It's right at the end of the slides. Uh, it's like, the, there we go. Well done, thanks, Rob. Um, so it starts with this pouring out of complaints. 
It starts with saying, just everything is pressing in on me. Everything is going wrong. My God, why have you forsaken me? I cry out. Yet you're this. You're supposed to be this. But what? What is going on? I don't know the situation you've come to G2 today and I don't know what your week was like. I don't know if you feel like you're falling apart or you feel like you're managing to get things together. Um, but there are times in our life where we do feel like this, where we go that low. And in this song of worship, when this person crying out goes that low, he pours out, pours out complaint. We can draw God in. When you go that low, draw God in. And the next slide, it keeps on going. It doesn't just say, this is who you're supposed to be, God. It says, this is, I am nothing. This is not one of those classic like Pentecostal talks where it says, you know, just, you know, believe in yourself and things will be better. You know, there's kind of motivational speeches where believe in yourself and you'll win. Believe in yourself, believe in yourself. This is straight up despair. I am a worm and not a man. One of the most, the most, probably the most famous person to quote this psalm was Jesus. That's God made man. And Jesus quoted it whilst he was on the cross. He said the first lines and he said the last lines. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And my guess is that the rest of the lines were also going through his head when he was in that place. These lines like, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the heap people. These insults flying in. It keeps going. He doesn't stop. He's pouring out complaints. The psalmist keeps saying, God, this is what seems to be happening to me. God, this is horrendous. The next slide. He talks about exactly how he feels. I am poured out like water. There's something in this that the more we reveal to God, the more he can heal. The more we reveal to God, the more he can heal. When your mind is bombarded by information, just in everyday life, whether it's a terrible week or an okay week or a great week, when you're bombarded by information, the more you reveal to God, the more you say, this is still, still hard aspects of this, I'm still finding this tough, the more he can heal. And then it goes on further, the next slide. It doesn't stop, it's just continuous. <laughs> I am, dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me, they pierce my hands and my feet. And the next one, my bones are on display. And then we come to the but. Then we come to the transition. Then we come to the 24-hour rule. You're pouring out your complaints. And if you take nothing else from today, know that you can pour out your complaints, God. Know that to get your mind in a place of worship, you can pour out to him everything that is hurting. But then the but comes. But, but, but you, Lord, but you, Lord, I will declare your name to my people. But you, Lord, you are my strength. Come quickly. I will declare your name to my people. And then the next one, he says, I and the assembly will praise you. You fear the Lord, praise him. He's starting to get into a position where he can praise. He started to turn that pouring out of complaint into a position of praise. The 24-hour rule, the stop, the but. It's not that we say all the complaints aren't still there. It's not that we say we're not still being bombarded by stuff, that the enemy doesn't still feel like it's closing him. But we say but. 
but the Lord has the day, but the Lord wins out because we know where we're going. We know the story over our lives anyway. The circumstance might be terrible, but we know where we're going. When Martin Luther King was in the, the midst of the civil rights movement and the brutalities and persecution of his protest, he said that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. It might feel like the road is long, but it bends towards justice. Dogs surround me, lions encircles me, they pierce my hands and my feet, but I will praise you. In this place of suffering, without saying it doesn't matter, without saying I'm going to forget it, without pushing it down, without repressing it, we're saying, but I will praise you anyway. But I will praise you anyway. The 24-hour rule, it's all coming out and then the but. Bill Walsh, that NFL coach, went on to win the next 10 matches and they, his team won the next two championships. He turned it round with a but got back up. And we get back up, not because we believe in ourselves, but because we know where we're going and we believe in where God is taking us. One of my favorite writers is a guy called Edmund Burke. And uh, in my final exams, when I studied history um, at undergrad, I had to learn a load of his quotes and stuff like this. And there was one of my favorite ones that not only was great to include in the exam, but also actually had some genuinely good content, um, unlike most of the other stuff I had to read, um, like Foucault. Um, but Edmund Burke, um, he, he talks about the Holy Spirit like a, a cream, like a balm that goes underneath our anxieties. And he said that it is like a sovereign balm underneath gnawing cares and anxieties that's not conversant, that's not in communication with the limited wants of animal life, with our painful wants, ranges without limit, diversified by infinite combination in the wild and unbounded regions of our imagination. The Holy Spirit in these situations of pain, confusion, oppression, can go underneath our anxieties and, and can make our imaginations infinite. It can release them. The more we reveal to God, the more he can heal. The more we reveal to God, the more he can heal. And then there's the but. Then the Holy Spirit can go under. Take this vision of eternity. You are promised eternity with God. Take it and take it underneath those anxieties. If we go to the right to the end of the psalm, if we go to those last stanzas, as he's, ta as he's transitioned in the but, then we have the proclamation of who God is. Then we can praise. Worshipping with God with all our minds doesn't mean saying that our circumstances aren't still difficult. But it and it does mean choosing. And it also means seeing where we're going. And then it means saying what God is doing. At all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families and the nations will bow down before him. Why? Because dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules the nations. The psalmist is starting to declare what is true. He's declared the truth of his situation, the truth of the pain of his situation. And now he's declaring what God is doing. And that is one of the ways we worship God with all our minds. When we turn up to worship as a congregation, 
Sometimes we feel like we're just going through the motions, just saying what we're supposed to say, just mouthing what we're supposed to mouth. Because I sometimes feel like the reason I just mouth or just perform is, just, is because I haven't got there. I haven't actually spent time going with God saying, this is a situation, this is a situation. And so often, the songs that we sing in church start here. They start, this is who God is. This is all the ends of the earth. They say, oh, we'll praise him, we'll praise him. Glory to God. And we've not actually really got there. We've not got there beforehand. One of the ways you can do this is by, before we get to church, actually start praying into this stuff. Or if we don't have chance, wait to, to sing along. Pour it out to him. Uh, be with God before we sing out these lines. And then we get there. It's the bit where we can really go for it. When you, you know when you feel like sometimes like everyone's worshipping around you and you're just not carried along with it? It's like really loud, but I'm like, what am I really doing here? I'm just shouting and singing. Get, we can get there by, the, by our honesty and raw emotions before God. And we can get here saying what he will do. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told of the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness. This is where we're going. Declaring to a people yet unborn what he has done it. Over our situations, he has done it. Over our pain, he has done it. Over whatever kind of week you had, he has done it. Whether you just lost six matches or you just won 10, he has done it. Um, I, I study for a PhD, and a lot of the time it's spent in a little niche just studying on my own, just with my own books and without anyone else. It's not for extroverts. If anyone's interested, don't do it. Um, but you, you end up constantly on your own with your own thoughts. You end up with bombard, just all that information crowding in. Um, and one that, there's a philosopher that I, that I really like called Soren Kierkegaard who talks about his own situation this, where he feels like just closed in by information. And he had a prayer that he spoke over himself. And he said, teach me, O Lord, not to make a martyr, my, martyr out of myself through reflection. Not to, not to kill myself by just thinking, but to breathe deeply in faith. Sometimes when we get to this point, we've got so much going on that we've just forgotten to breathe. When we get to this point, when we're singing out glory to God just before we do, Breathe in. Everything's going on. Everything's crazy. Don't forget to breathe. Don't forget to breathe because then you can breathe out. He has done it. Breathe in in faith and breathe out. He has done it. Worshipping God with all our minds is not easy. It seems like actually an impossible task when we live in a modern age of information and technology that never leaves us alone, that's constantly buzzing in our pockets, that constantly is addressing us, constantly asking for our attention. It seems impossible, but we can go through the stages. If we're honest before God, if we reveal so he can heal, if we choose to say, but I praise him, and if we look to where we're going. So we're going to try this today. We're going to try to pour out our complaints to him. And we're going to try to say but. And we're going to try to see where we're going. So let's have some time to do it. Um, so Ben will be back in a moment just to conclude uh, our thinking for today. But we're going to do exactly what was said and have a moment just to breathe and to um, 
take on board what we've heard and maybe to do something with it. And we've got some uh, post-it notes and pens. So whoever's in the middle of the aisle, you're like the post-it note monitor. So if you want to pass it along, grab yourself a post-it note, grab a pen and pass that um, along. And we want to pick up this um, theme of worship and the idea of our mind and the ideas that Ben has spoken to us about from Psalm uh, 22. Uh, and it's an idea of a journey, and Ben explained that, the, the beginning, and then there was the but, and then the second half, which we've all heard. Uh, and uh, there are two parts of it. So um, we've put some uh, bits of paper on the wall that pick up some of those um, dereliction-type cries that were at the beginning of the psalm. And they're there for illustration. It's not that you necessarily feel like that, though you might feel like that. One of them says, I cry out to you. Uh, that one says, God, why have you left me? Uh, and that one says, God, why are you so far away? So what you might want to do is, is write down or, or, or draw or make some kind of marker of something that you feel is, is the thing that comes to mind. The things you were thinking of while Ben was talking that maybe uh, hold you back from worship. And it might be practical and trivial. It might be, it might be deep. It might be emotional. Uh, so you can engage with that however you want, and you can either write it down or you can just put something that symbolizes it. And then when you've done that, go and stick it um, on one of those bits of paper. And it doesn't matter which one you stick it on, just some's on the left and some's on the right. So you can do that. And then maybe when you've done that, maybe you tear your post-it note in half. And then the other side, Rosie will come and tell us um, what you're going to do with that. Sorry. Um, so here we are going to declare how we praise God. Um, any declarations that come to mind having kind of laid down your feelings of just not really sure um, where you're at or um, crying out to, to him we're going to praise him come and write whatever you'd like yeah. brilliant so two halves and we're going to take about five or six minutes so you've got a few minutes to do that so maybe you want to start with the, uh, the things that are on the walls and then you want to end with the thing that you're going to kind of literally bring to the front and put it down as part of your contribution to worship. So over to you for that. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Save my life. My precious life from the power of dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. From you comes a theme of my praise. Before my people I will fulfill my vow. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. The ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. The families of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules the nations. The rich of the earth will feast and worship. Those who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot save themselves. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told of the Lord. They will declare, proclaiming to people yet unborn, he is done it. 